And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back. Another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here again to have a conversation that I'm hoping helps your business grow. Now look, so many of you want to start a business. Several of you already have. Some of you have rapidly growing businesses, and this begins to present problems and things you need to start addressing at an early stage, especially when it comes to the culture in and around your business. With that, you have to build a culture of trust. And by a culture of trust, and that's what we're going to get into today, I mean one where employees, clients, leadership, there's a circular level of trust that travels around everywhere. And that has so many different angles to it. Now, before we get into that, I do want to remind you that today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software development team quickly and affordably. Here to talk with me about building a culture of trust, I've got Jeff Nishwitz. Now, Jeff describes himself as the chief snow globe shaker, and that's a new one. We've had janitors, idea makers, pretty much anything. We have yet to have a CSGS, which stands, it is a C-suite position, people, a chief snow globe shaker. He's from the Nishwitz group and does a lot of different stuff when it comes to culture speaking. He's written several books. We'll let him tell us about that here in a minute. But first off, Jeff, welcome to Startup Hustle. Thanks, Matt. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, and, and hopefully the intro, that I, you know, like I said, you're a trailblazer with the snow globe shaking. So um, we'll, we'll get into that in a minute. Now, if you want to learn more about what Jeff does, I'm going to encourage you to just click the link in the show notes so I don't have to spell out Nishwitz or nishwitzgroup.com. So there's a link. Scroll down. There's a link for full scale as well down there. So check it out. Now, uh, Jeff, before we get too deep, far into this episode, why don't you give us a little bit about your backstory? Well, people seem fascinated with my backstory, and I don't know about you, Matt, but my story doesn't seem interesting except to everybody else, and I think that's because I lived it, and I was just in it. Uh, the unique part for me is I'm a recovered lawyer, so I started my life as a lawyer, worked for a big law firm, very traditional. Then I became an entrepreneur and started my own law firm and built pretty amazing entrepreneurial law firm. And then had one problem. I had figured it out, and then I realized I hated it. I had, I had beat the system. I had a great firm, great business, making lots of money, and realized I hated being a lawyer, so I quit. And that's when the real journey began. You know, I learned a lot as an entrepreneur, but and you and I talked offline ahead of time. I think it's vital for us to be willing to take risk and fail and to learn from them. I also find that we live in a culture where people talk about that, willing to fail, but don't. Uh, I'm, trust me, I had an epic fail. I had a business, when I left the law, 
I had a coaching business and three years later I was out of business and I had epically failed. And I will tell you, it was a slow learn because it took me five years to publicly admit that the reason my business failed was me. I was great at coming up with stories. We don't have to go into it, but I always say that I had three truths that I told everybody because they were true, but they weren't the deeper truth that my ego got in the way. I didn't do what needed to be done. And so I failed in my business, went back to work for other people, which I said I would never do, but I was always called to do my own thing again. And that led to a series of events that I always said, love to tell you it was a great plan, brilliantly executed, but it was more like a car wreck where the car flipped a number of times, but somehow the driver and the car were still able to go forward. And I've been driving in the direction that car was pointing ever since. And that's, you know, brought me to today. I'm a speaker. I'm a coach. I work with business owners. I work with leaders. I work with teams to empower their leadership, to build culture, but it's been quite the journey with some pretty radical cliffs of failure. You know, that's important though. And look, as entrepreneurs, we're, we're, I mean, I, most of us are used to failing. And I talk about that a lot because, you know, for me, I try 10 things hoping that one works out. And, you know, that's like, I mean, if I had to really like explain my overarching plan for all of it, that's usually where it starts. Now, uh, that's not uncommon. And the, the thing is, is, you, you know, you learn and we've talked so much about failure on the show. And it's actually the biggest point of feedback I get from listeners is they, they like hearing about it. You learn you can learn so much. And it's not and, and that admitting that you failed is hard. Uh, you know, in my book, Balance Me, I talk about that on the very first page. It says, if you're not willing to admit that you're you might be your own biggest problem, just put the book back because I'm not going to be able to help you. So and, you know, we'll get into that culture of trust that, you know, that topic we wanted to talk about. But in my opinion, if you can't if you can't take responsibility for your own fails or the things you didn't do well and take ownership in that, it makes it impossible to build a culture of trust. Is that is that in your opinion, is that where the foundation begins from as a leader? Oh, absolutely. It all starts with it all starts with me. It all starts with you and anybody who looks outside themselves. That's the first fail. You know, we I just did a podcast myself, an interview the other day with a guest, and they were talking about the Michael Jackson song, Man in the Mirror, and talking about how, how important it is for leaders to look in the mirror and be willing to tell the truth to themselves. And often, you know, they need to get outsiders, whether it's their board of advisors, their friends, maybe it's a coach, but to get that perspective to help them see the blind spots, because there are so many obstacles even for me to tell the truth. I think I'm telling myself the truth, but there's a likelihood that I'm not really telling the truth because I've got a blinder on or I've got a resistance to tell, really let everybody know what's going on. Yeah, and I think so much of that begins with, you know, for me, I've been practicing uh, or trying to practice. Yeah, it's funny, you, you know, you mentioned being a lawyer, you had lawyers and doctors, they practice law or medicine. Well, I mean, I'm a practicing entrepreneur and startup founder because you never really, I mean, you, you feel like you master it and then you get humbled. And that's, 
And, you know, sometimes it's through your own fault. And then sometimes it's just circumstance. And, you know, you look at the current uh, economic climate and pandemic situation. And, you know, someone asked me at one point, they said, it seems like you're handling this really well. I said, well, I've been an entrepreneur for a long time. Like, this is just another day at the office with a different storyline. And, and it is because you just don't know when shit happens, it's, it's the reaction to it and how you deal with it. Now, in regards to leadership and, and creating that culture of trust, it's, you know, uh, oftentimes as leaders or entrepreneurs, we're forced into, you got, you have to be a kind of ego driven and you have to have that, that, uh, that resiliency, thick skin and, and short memory, cause you got to get rid of that failure. But it also, with that, that can be having those qualities is an incredible strength and your strength and your weakness hold hands and walk down the street and shout together. So you get the other side of that. And it's like, I don't know, I, I, I at this point, I, I don't have a hard time admitting when I'm wrong um, and doing it quickly. And, and actually, even as we're doing it, say like, hey, 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 everyone, I'm not sure if I'm right or wrong here. I think I'm right, but I'll be ready to back off when it comes down to it. But I think a lot of people don't. They just want to ride the horse like I'm never wrong. What, what, what do you find in that? Regard? Well, that's you're hit. You haven't used the word, but you're hitting on the secret sauce because everything you talked about, acknowledging you're wrong, acknowledging you don't have the answers, acknowledge you made mistakes, being open to feedback, all of those things are, that's the bucket of vulnerability. And what's fascinating is that if you look, if you go Google vulnerability and leadership right now, you will find that virtually, I'm going to say 90% of every thought leader every coach, every advisor, the, the evidence is in that leadership vulnerability is so vital because that's what builds the culture of trust. And yet it's the biggest fear of leaders. And it is probably the thing that is slowest to been put into been implementation. You know, you talked about, you know, that failure and your willingness to admit that you failed and, and how long it takes. I mean, I'm like you during this COVID deal. Um, March 17th, I was on a plane coming back to Tampa where I live. And on March 17th, my business dropped 70% overnight because I'm a speaker. I'm a speaker and a coach and, and everything, you know, it was the whole calendar. Emails started coming in, cancel, cancel, cancel. And as we all know, none of that business is back. But to your point, everybody says, Jeff, how do you navigate this so well? I said, because number one, I've been here, done this before. I've been through worse before, you know, and, and I'm getting into action. How do I innovate? But there is so much power in just being honest about who you are, because that is the secret to trust. But people have not, so many people and leaders have not connected the dots and they're still doing the mindset you talked about. I got this horse, I'm holding on tight and don't let anybody see me sweat. I'll sweat in private, yeah. but nobody can ever know that I've got any question. And that is- Well, I, yeah, I, I used to be like, I used to be, I think there's times for that. You know, I mean, as a leader and, and you know, I have almost 200 employees at the time of this recording, I think it's 190 and they're worldwide and they do a variety of different things. And, you know, like that, that vulnerability you mentioned, it, in my opinion, is, the, is really the key ingredient. It's like people that I, my, our, my employees know that they can come and, and talk to me and talk to us. And like the feedback, it's funny because the, you know, so many of our employees are in the Philippines and they're not necessarily used to me to like my, to my type of leadership. 
and I, you know, we'll talk to them and we'll get, I'll get feedback after my, my visits and they'll say, uh, we've never really had a CEO that comes around and talks to everybody in the company the way you do. I'm like, who have you been working for? You know, and, and, and that some of that too, I think is the way that you set it up and structure it. Cause you don't work for me, you work with me. And whether you're the guy that, that maintains the facility or you're the, the, in charge of operations, we all just have different jobs. And if I don't do my job, I'm letting you down in so many different ways. And like, well, just recently I apologized to one of our, our employees here in Kansas city, cause I've been so busy. I wasn't doing some of the things that I needed to do to help her move forward. And I just had to take ownership of that. Cause I said, Hey, you know, cause she said something, she's like, I don't, I'm not sure I'm progressing the way you want. I said, that's my fault, not yours. And that's that extreme ownership. And, you know, that's a popular book that's out right now. I haven't read the whole thing, but I, you, you can embrace the concept, which me, which means that, well, it's shit flows back uphill. And, you know, we say that because like on some levels as a leader, you have, you're the, you, it's you failing, not the team. Extreme ownership says there's no bad teams. There's only bad leaders. Mm-hmm. Well, and I've read that book and you're, you know, with all due respect to the book, you may not have to read any more of it because it is, yeah, a good read, yeah. but the yeah. concept is so simple, but it's elusive because I've had leaders instruct their team to read the book. And when they come in the room to discuss the book, they don't practice extreme ownership because they still don't understand it. They think that extreme ownership is like owning your piece of it. No, it's all of it. And you look at every situation and say, what could I have done differently? What do I need to learn here? What's my impact here? And even if someone else has their piece, you own all of, you're always scanning to how can you improve and grow. And to your point, You've got to model it because too many leaders, and this is where they destroy trust and they don't even realize they're doing it. They talk a great game, but they don't model it. They tell people, this is what I believe in. They tell people, this is how it's going to be, but they don't actually do it. And let's, that's let's a, give an example. Let's give a practical example of quote modeling it. Cause you know, like you said, it's easy to talk it and say it and then not do it. And like, and you know, for just a quick example, in my regards, it's like what I just mentioned. It's like, if you, if you, if it appears as if someone isn't, uh, I, I'm trying to create a culture and where, where the assist is more valuable than the goal. You know, and like even in like you look at like hockey and they the player has X points, they get two points for a goal and one for an assist. Like I want to flip that the other way around and create a very selfless culture where we, you know, it's uh, uh, almost like the speech that Al Pacino gives in any given Sunday. He's like, we're going to we're going to win as a team or we're going to die as a team. And it's it's there's no real in between there. It's very binary. Well, what, what, how do you what do you consider modeling? Well, modeling, modeling to me is purely as simple as this. It's actions. Modeling are the actions that are in alignment with your words. Um, And so, for example, you've got a leader who says all the things you just said. We're in this together. We're going to win as a team. And yet you sit in a meeting with that leader with a client and that leader constantly says the word I. Here's what I think. Here's what I did. And they don't even know they're saying it, yet they they preach a we game, but the word that keeps coming out of their mouth is I. They, they say to people, you know, I want to encourage your ideas. 
This is a really subtle one. I want to encourage you to think on your own, come up with your own ideas. Yet when anyone brings them an idea, their typical response is, hey, that's a great idea, but have you thought about this? And one of the things I tell leaders is you need to learn that while your ideas may often be better, that might be true, many times you have to let good enough be good enough. Because otherwise, you might be the smartest person in the room. That's possible. Your ideas might be better than someone else. But if you always push your idea over theirs, they're going to stop coming up with ideas. And they're not going to trust you because you told them you want their ideas, but you didn't really want them. That's a break in trust. You know, you know for me as well, sometimes I, I think that means, uh, all right, so just like a real talk here, like you get someone and they, they feel very adamant about whatever it is that they want to do, what they want to push forward and whatever. And this is someone that has earned credibility and respect to the team. Sometimes you have to let people go out and actually fail. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's like, that's acceptable. And, and you, and that's like kind of what you're talking about. You have to almost sh- shut up because, because the thing is, is if you push your idea over theirs and then, yours doesn't work you have just created this broken record in that team member's head that's like well my shit would have worked my shit would have worked you know why didn't we try this now that said you know like it doesn't mean that you tank the company's future on these things but so so the toughest job at full scale is our sales director why because he replaced me <laughs> as our primary salesperson and i i consider myself to be a pretty good salesperson and we have a really big ticket sale like our average customer spends thirteen thousand dollars a month so those leads are like ridiculously valuable but part of what i need i need to do with the salesperson that comes in like so we're very picky about the clients we choose but it's hard to get a new person to kind of understand that. So we kind of laugh about it now, but I, I let them sign up a couple clients that might not have been ideal. And they, they, you know, they were a pain in his ass. And, and I told him, I said, this will probably be a pain in your butt, but I need you to experience it. So you think I'm not just, you know, hatcheting your, your sales commissions as you come in. So, I mean, is that an example of modeling that or, or, or am I doing the the right thing? Absolutely. The key here is about alignment because I I do workshops all over the world, literally, and I'll get the people, the team in a room or a group, and I'll put them in a small group and say, look, I want you to spend five minutes coming up with two lists. One list is how do you build trust? And the other list is how do you break trust? And I set them up because I let them do it. And then before I have them share, I'll say, okay, if you started with the list of how do you break trust first, stand up. 95% of the people stand up because we know how we break trust a lot easier than how to build it. Because the main way to build trust is not to do the other things. And the main point of building trust is to do what you say you're going to do and to act in alignment with your words. So A typical example of a disconnect that people don't see is I do surveys with teams and I've got two questions embedded and almost every organization on the survey comes out this way. You ask the team, are you encouraged to try new things and to take risks? Most organizations score very high. But the second question, which is separated from it, kind of hidden is, is it safe to fail trying new things? And almost all of them score low. 
And the leaders say, well, I don't understand. And then they realize, they'll say, oh, so we're telling people to try new things. But what we're really saying is it's okay to try new things if they succeed. But they need to see that. That's a huge blind spot. They didn't purposefully have a disconnect. They didn't have a different belief system, but their actions, because they had not figured out how to allow people to fail in small ways and relatively safe ways that are not going to destroy the organization to let people learn. Because leaders all say, the best learning I've ever got was from failure. I said, well, do you let your people fail? Um, hmm. Yeah, not so much. So there's we a do. disconnect. We do not. Disconnect yeah. and lose trust. So, you know, trust, and I think as we're talking about that subject, you know, trust is something that's earned. It's not implied, it's not inherent, and it's not something that you show up on day one and have. And that goes for you as a leader and an owner. So you may hire a new employee or new team member and they come in. That doesn't mean that person has bought into trusting you yet. No. And at the same time, it's okay to want them to earn the trust. It depends on where your business is at, what you do, so on and so forth. For me, I've got a very simple exercise and it's really meant more so to protect my own time and focus. I call it the rule of yes. And if there's, okay, so if you think I'm going to say yes, that's, this is for simple things. This doesn't mean like, can I sell the company to the highest bidder? You know, like these are basic things that, that as your company grows, begin to pile up because, all right, so I have 200, I mentioned nearly 200 employees. If each one of them wasted three minutes or needed three minutes of my day, that's a 10 hour day. <laughs> uh, so you have to start to mitigate these things. And so I invented the rule of yes, which means if you think I'll say yes, 90% of the time, I want you to just do it. And I will deal with the 10% of the time that you're wrong. Mm-hmm. And th those are those little, little baby, you know, bits of trust that start to pile up. And in my opinion, that's where you start to see if people are making good decisions, if they're, if they're capable, willing, or brave enough to try certain things. And, you know, like, and, and yeah, I mean, I think that's where it starts. Now I have a question. I wanted to go back. So you talked about um, things, how do you build trust and how do you break it? I, I'd like to like, what are, what are some of the more popular answers in each, in each column? Well, the, the answers are this, uh, the, the main answer that comes up, the list of how do you build trust is very short and it's simple. Okay. It, do what you say you're going to do. And, and that means not only actions, but also that you're at your back to the modeling, your actions are in alignment with your words. That's the list. Oh, the other part of the build trust list is don't do the things that break trust. And that list is usually long, but it comes into a couple categories. One is failing to do what you say you're going to do. The second is acting in misalignment with your words. And the rest, you know, then they'll say don't lie. But the thing about trust is every organization has some level of trust, but no one wants to talk about trust because Real trust is where the rubber meets the road. You know, most organizations trust that if I leave my phone out, no one's going to steal it. If I leave my wallet out, you know, I generally trust that people are not going to steal from me. But the trust that says it's okay to fail, the trust that says it's okay to be vulnerable here, it's okay to ask questions, to challenge the status quo. Is it okay here for me to challenge the leader? You know, what happens when someone in a meeting says, hang on. I think we're getting off course. I think we're getting outside our values. 
what happens to that person? If that leader shuts them down or gets defensive, there's a ripple effect. The whole organization is going to hear about it and say, okay, it is not safe to speak up here. So there's that, that's really true. That's true. And th- that's something you need to tune up as a leader, like a lot, like, and, cause here, the, and it's easy to, it's easy to, uh, you know, one of the, for me and my personality type, which I'll be honest, people love me or hate me on many days, but I'm just being me. Um, you know, so many of the things I talk about it, it, and I've given, I mentioned earlier, you're from Tampa. And the last time I was there, I spoke to the fraternity executives of America. There's about 500 people there. I was the keynote for their convention. And uh, they wanted me to deliver, uh, uh, they wanted me to do a presentation that was easily, so here's people that are in, uh, in a, uh, a mentor type role over, pe- over college age folks. And they wanted me to prepare some material to help train them because they were <laughs> deathly scared that these 18 to 20 year old kids were not coming out of college with the things that they need. And some of that you talk, I, I actually talked about building or breaking trust. And for me as a leader, it was like not making, well, I don't make promises. I, the only promise I will make you is that things will change. Um, so, and that's literally the only promise I'll make. So I, I've trained myself to take that, that the word promise out because it can be misperceived, like the way that you're heard by an employee. And I, I've made, I've done that incorrectly in the past and had people that were, oh, they're thinking they're getting a raise or a bonus or something different. And it was, it was taken out of context and, and that wasn't, you know, the way it was supposed to be. And then also for simple things, you look at like, uh, you look at like, uh, dumb little things that I see people just blow up their trust. It's like being late, being mm-hmm. late or being unreliable or, you know, and these are, these are things that are trust. This is trustworthiness. And, and, you know, also as a leader, like I mentioned earlier, like the, the reaction I was saying from my staff, cause I, I go do everything. Like I've taken out the trash I've emptied, you know, like I've jumped in the dumpster and stuff like that. And, you know, and I, you get people that, you know, you get to a bigger company. It's one thing to do that with your three person company. And then I don't know, I don't give a shit that I'm the CEO. Like I, that, I need that guy or gal to do their job just as much. So how can I understand what needs to be done if I'm not going to do it? And I think it makes it difficult for your team. It, well, we were talking before we hit record about, we were both had played adult baseball and I said, I, I was the worst player on my team, which was highly competitive by the way. But still not great. But I loved showing up because I got to be like this role player, man. Like I hit like eight or ninth. Like, do you want me to get hit by a pitch? Do you want me to try to like, I mean, I've, but I took it, you know, I'm not a taking pitches kind of guy, but I sure was on that team because that's what I needed to do. And I enjoyed that role. So like, do you think it's important for leaders to really have that sleeves up mentality, jump in the dumpster, mop the floor occasionally and do stuff like that? Absolutely. They have to be willing to do it. They may not do it all the time, but everybody on the team has to know they're willing to. And I'm going to borrow a lesson from one of my leadership models in my life, which is my father. My father uh, played Major League Baseball. He was also a uh, college baseball coach for 30 years. And what his players used to tell me was they they hated him. (laughs) They hated him for a lot of reasons. But what they told me is this. They said, you know what? Your father never asked us to do anything that he doesn't do with us. When he was younger, I mean, he retired at 70, so he wasn't doing it at 70. But if he said, we're going to go run three miles, he'd go run three miles with them. When he said, we're going to do push-ups, he would do push-ups with them. And then as he aged, he didn't do it all the time, but he had a reputation that people said, 
he's willing to do it and he'll do anything he's physically able. So I think that's part of building trust. And you had something really important, Matt, that I don't think we think about a lot. You said people either love or hate you. But here's something people need to know. Whether people love or hate you or like you is not the same as trust. Because people trust what is predictable. People trust when they know what to expect from you. So the truth is, you know, you said, I'm just myself. If you're yourself, people will actually trust that even if they hate you. They say, well, I know what to get from him. But they don't trust, they lose trust over any inconsistency. And what people need to understand are two things. You talked about being on time, for example. When people are typically late, even for one instant, the biggest impact is trust. That's the issue. But no one wants to talk about it. And sometimes the most important conversation we can have is to look someone in the eye and say, I'm going to just tell you this. I, because of these behaviors, I don't trust you because that's when you find out who that person is, because if they don't care about being trusted, I don't want them on my team. If that doesn't matter, then they're out. I don't want them in my, I don't want them in my company. Well, exactly. They're out. Like, and and yeah, and trust. So trust goes way past. You you mentioned earlier, you're talking about, um, about, Hey, is someone going to steal my phone off my desk? Like that's inherent. That should, I mean, you should, if you have a culture where shit like that's the problem, you got way bigger issues. Or we're getting into like, do you, I mean, no, you don't have a, you don't have a culture of trust there, but you know, I've seen and part of why I included that in my presentation was I've literally seen like remarkably capable people throw away careers over dumb, like not being able to get to work on the, the traffic. I'm like, leave 10 minutes early. <laughs> like you're like, and, and also like dumb stuff too. Like uh, I've seen people throw away careers over like expensing a, a, a $11 something they shouldn't have. And then they get, and then you, you get called out on that. And you've, do you think anyone's going to trust you after that? Like, you know, like now if I feel I have to review your expense report to make sure they're actually legit, like, dude, you get no, you get nothing, you get nothing. And, and, uh, so much for, for us at full scale is we work with so many different clients and do so many different things. We have very strict intellectual property agreements and stuff like that. So trust is a huge thing for us. And, and really it's just about reliability. You know, like I'll take, I'll take the person that I'll take the steady, I'll take the workhorse that I know is always going to be there on time and, and, and get it done over the racehorse. That's a little finicky, uh, now I like racehorses too. So at the same time, you need a little mix of both, but you know, there, there's a lot to be said about that reliability factor. And it, it, if, if you're not reliable, you're not going to be trustable. Well, and I'll tell you a great analogy for that. I think that's the right word. I, I take a lot, I've learned a lot from military history, which seems odd because, but I also, um, one of my models of leadership from the military is someone who I think is incredibly vulnerable, a guy named Dick Winters, who is the main character in Band of Brothers. I tell people, you want to learn about leadership? Go watch Dick Winters. But one of the questions that I use with teams about trust is this. It's about foxholes. And I'll say, so imagine you've got a foxhole and you get a choice of who's in there with you. Who do you want in the foxhole? Because there's a lot of trust in a foxhole. And that says a lot about who they trust. And then I'll change it. And let's say it's with you, Matt. I'll say, I'll t- I'm talking to one of your uh, directors or VPs. And I'll say, so who do you want in the foxhole? 
And then I'll say, I want you to imagine that you're in the foxhole with Matt. Then I say, how well will you sleep at night? I mean, I've had people talk about their CEO and say something like, I'm not going to sleep well. I'm going to sleep with one eye open. I'm not sure they're going to be there in the morning. That's a massive trust issue. And yet, if you went to that leader, that leader has no idea for two reasons. They've got huge blind spots and they have not built enough trust that that person's willing to tell them the truth about that. Because that is the kind of trust we need as leaders, because you're at the positionally, you're at the top of the chair, right? You're at the top of the pyramid. And that's the hardest place to get feedback. And this is where I tell it is, leaders, it is. if you it want is. feedback as the leader, if you're the top dog or the owner, if you're up here, you ha- really have to be perfect at receiving feedback for a while. Because if you're defensive at all, they're never coming back to do it again. But if you can build trust over time, then you you can make a mistake down the road, but you can't make a mistake at the beginning when you're asking for feedback from the people that you have a power differential with. That's the kind of trust leaders need because without that feedback, you're not going to have any idea what you're really doing. Yeah, some of it, you know, I, I think on a leadership basis too is, you know, look, as people, whether you're, whether you feel like the most confident person in the world or whether you're not, we all have a lot of insecurities and so much of this, all of this bubbles up from that. Now, I can help you feel secure about picking developers if you want to go to fullscale.io and learn more about the company that I run on what I jokingly refer to as my day job. You go to fullscale.io. We help build that trust factor. I mean, that's part of like why are we at 200 employees after barely over two years because we look for certain qualities in people and reliability. And uh, now one of the things, and this is why we get it, you're mentioning feedback. So critical thinking. Now, critical thinking can have a lot of different definitions, but that's something we look for because um, when it comes to building software and tech, like the client, our clients trust us because we we have built a culture where we really value the person that's not afraid to speak up and say, hey, there's a problem. So, and you can, I'll give like a super practical example. Like if an architect gives you a blueprint and you're a builder and you look at it and you're like, this is going to fall over. And you're like, yeah, but I already got the contract and I mean, I might as well just do it. And like, whatever, it's easier to just not say something. That's, that's terrible. That's terrible. And, and that, that causes a ripple effect that create and, and the world of tech, we refer to that as technical debt. Those are things that you're guaranteed to have to go back and redo, rethink, repurpose, restructure. And, you know, however that is in your business, if you're not, if you don't have that open, like, Hey, look, speak up. Now you always want to, this is super cliche, but you always want to encourage people like, Hey, look, I want to hear all about problems that you identify, but let's, let's keep it tight and clean and, and come up with a couple solutions. And, and by the way, I've used that in my, cause I got to stick by the rule. My solution has in, in some cases been that I know we are smart enough to get together right now and figure out the fucking solution. You know, like that is an actual solution. I trust that we have enough people here that know what they're doing, that we'll get it figured out. We might be wrong a bunch, but we're going to get it figured out.
and there we have a solution. No. So now no, I think that, and, and right. but to me, that is, that's back to that. That's back to an act of vulnerability. It really is. And, you know, you made the point of the insecurities, but so many leaders, I mean, we just saw it in the media last week. I don't know if you saw this. I don't think it's getting enough attention yet. Uh, when Dak Prescott came out and talked about his struggles with depression, the quarterback, the Cowboys quarterback, his his brother committed suicide, and he came out publicly on, on suicide prevention day. Said, "I'm struggling with depression. I've not had energy." And a lot of people applauded him. And then one of the ESPN announcers, a guy named Skip Bayless goes on the air and said he was wrong. He should never speak about that out loud. He's a leader. Leaders don't talk about that stuff. And he got ripped for it. But the truth. He should have. He he should have. That's the default. It's still the default. Uh, Someone just pointed me to a, a Harvard Business Review survey article recently where they had asked like some large number of leaders, what are your biggest fears? And they all related to insecurities. They were not coming across confident. It was all about how they came across. So the reality is leaders have insecurities. It's not whether you have them. It's what do you do with them? And are you working all through them? Or are you hiding? Everyone's insecure. Yeah, everyone's insecure on some level. I mean, the, 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 the psychological science behind our own personality styles is that our personality style is driven more by who we're insecure that we're not, you know, but than who we are. Exactly. And that's, and that's what, that, well, that's what floats it out there. And, you know, that's something that I, I talk to a lot of people because I'll be honest, like I, uh, okay. Part of why, I, I've accepted that love hate thing. I am, I exude confidence on a lot of days and that can also be taken the wrong way. Sometimes that is perceived not as confidence, but potentially as arrogance and always trying to work on that. But I've learned that a lot of, I say that love, hate the, the, the people that fall on the, on the negative side of that. Uh, hey, look, sometimes when you're doing the best job you can, not everyone loves you. Like, cause I mean, if the people that if people that want to shoot arrows and and throw stones, like if they're people that aren't doing what they need to do now, I think it's important that you set that standard. So my my business partner at Full Scale and often co-hosts here on the show, you know, talks a lot about people want to know whether we're winning or losing and in the company and, you know, defining that I say. I, I with lots of sports analogies on this and that's fine. You know, I played sports and you did too. It's like, if you were in a, in a gym in, in the dark and you're shooting baskets, how many do you expect to go in? <laughs> and, and, you know, the thing is, is with your team is I, I bring everyone in, well, at least our local leadership. And I mentioned we have, a, you know, 172 employees in the Philippines. So, uh, but local leadership, I sit down, I try to scare people out of coming to work for us. Like I'll get to that third interview and I'm like, Hey, look, I just want you to know what you're getting into here. Cause we have, this is the A team. This is the big league and my standards are high and I'm not, I am not going to sacrifice the standards. So we, we often use the phrase world-class like if we can't do it, well, you, you were subject to that because you have a different mic in your hand than you did when we, when we first signed on. It just had like a little buzz. Now that said, we wouldn't have been creating a world-class offering if, some, if, if there's a buzzing in your ear or something like that. And these little things and holding these brand standards and, and are important in my opinion. But I let people know because I can, man, I can be a pain in the ass to work with, but it's, it's in and around things that 
we can, could, or should be doing. You know, it's not like I'm not just a dick because I'm a jerk, you know, like, and so I think there's a difference there too. I think if you get the right people around, you know, that said, at what point do you begin to realize you don't have the right people in your culture of trust? Well, the first question is, and you hit it, you didn't, you said this phrase, you said the right people, you have to be really clear on what the right people are. What does that mean? And too often, one of the misses is we're too narrow in our definition of right people. I was thinking about this the other day. When you think about people in leadership, positional leadership, they tend to look at the people that report to them in terms of a heavy focus on performance. Who are my top performers based upon deliverable outcomes, typically client deliverables, you know, profitability, things like that. But the people on your team, they look to the positional leaders for character. They're looking for the character traits. But what happens is we end up promoting people for performance, but we've not looked at their character because we were not holistic enough in determining what makes it right. I mean, I'll tell you, for me, the number one trait I want in people that work for me are people who really care. That's number one. If you don't care, I don't care dude, how good you are. You nailed that. I mean, I, I, I'm I want to jump in there because that is the okay. That's something you can't train. Yep, exactly. Uh, if you and and there's there's some intangible things. You all right? So a, a comparable thing when I say not trainable, you really can't train people to care. Um, when you find someone that really cares, you have some you you've got something to work with right there and. I've seen so many people that you talk about that deliverable outcome. They make all the sales or they do this and, and you know, that is what it is. You can tell they don't care. And, and that's, that's tough to buy in for the people that are around that because a caring person cares about the, the ripple effects that they create, the work that goes downstream and like salespeople are notoriously bad at this now. Cause you know, and, and that's why you go to so many organizations and they're like, dude, fuck the sales guys. Those guys are they're, They, what do they do? Why do they make so much money? Well, first off, nothing occurs until something's sold. So let's, let's not devalue that part, but they are, but they're not, they're, they're not detail oriented. They leave every, they'll often leave a mess for other people to clean up. And now it's one thing if you, if you, you care like if I you'll find those people they'll clean up the mess they'll do if that they feel like that's part of what they need to do to get you back out their son but they have to feel like that care goes both ways and if you're like oh I don't care I'm making a mess whatever like and and that's that's BS you know a, another comparable thing when it comes to untrainable qualities is actually likability I'm so fascinated with likability like you can do things to train someone to be more likable but some people are just genuinely likable and you know someone like that we all do like the kind of person that could tell you that your kid is ugly and you'd be like you know what thanks that that's great feedback john and and it, i'll try to do better on the next one <laughs> you know but but there, you know and, and it and where i'm going with that is some people don't have that quality if you're a leader and you don't have that quality you need to recognize it and try to try to round that out a little bit mm -hmm. because it's very if you're not likable then no one you you're gonna have a lot of people not giving a shit in a hurry so you know but once again not trainable much like caring well i would say this about caring i agree with you that you can't teach people to care but it is up to the leader to create an environment to find out if they care by giving them something to care about and to demonstrate that caring matters here and if that's not part of the equation then, then why should anybody care? Because it doesn't matter. And they need someone and something to care about. And that only happens if they have trust. 
Because if you think about it as a, a sort of in a binary way, if someone trusts, they open up, they're more open. That's how we connect. That's how we build relationships. That's how we do things together. If there's an issue of trust, they armor up and they're all about protection. And without trust, they go into the withhold mode. I'm going to withhold my caring. I'm going to withhold my ideas. I'm going to withhold my support of others. I'm going to withhold the part of me that might help. I'm going to just make it all about me. So it, it's there's this symbiotic relationship about trust and caring going hand in hand. So, and here we are, man, we race right through. And I, I love episodes like this because, you know, you talk, these, these are the things that, business school doesn't teach you people. I mean, it really doesn't. And I, and you know, on the cover of my book, million dollar bedroom, we talk about, I mean, literally like the scrappy lessons not taught in business school. I dropped out of five colleges, um, which by the way, I did record a podcast the other day. I don't know if it's already come out by the time this one will, but I, I pretty much started the episode by saying I have dropped out of five colleges and now I'm a junior, you know, like or I've been to five and I'm a junior. So but my point is with that is like that, you know, where you're at and what you've done in your experience, like it doesn't, I, I don't want you as a listener to devalue yourself on any, I said that out of jest because I ask people ask me all the time, they're like, do you have like an MBA or anything like that? I'm like, dude, I got a high school diploma, barely, <laughs> barely. And they're like, why? I was like, cause I was out there doing other stuff, man. I've been an entrepreneur. I'm out there doing it, you know? And, 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 and that's it. So like so many of the things, and, and, you know, we end episodes of start a puzzle with the founders freestyle. We're going to, we're going to move to that here in a second. After I remind you that today's episode of start a puzzle is brought to you by fullscale.io. Um, these are the kind of cultural things that, that our clients find built in for us and things that we support. And I would encourage all of you to do that yourself. So with the founders freestyle, you know, what is, uh, I, as the founder of your coaching business and an author of different books, uh, sometimes I shape the freestyle. I, I like to push things in, in a different direction and see what happens. But what is, what is the, what is the best advice that you can give startup founders or entrepreneurs when it comes to building a culture of trust? We may have already mentioned it, but what's the, what's the key point? We don't want people out of this episode without hearing. Um, I, the, the, the ones that come to mind is pay attention to your words and make sure your actions are always in alignment. Always. Because anytime, you know, we think about building trust and breaking trust, we break trust in big ways with small things. We break trust in big ways with small things because people notice the discrepancy. The other thing is get honest with yourself. You know, whatever your fears are, your insecurities, find a place, figure out a way that you're going to work on those because they, they come up, they bubble up in subtle ways that you don't see coming. And most of the ways you lose trust are based upon those things you just weren't aware of. They're in your blind spot. They may never go away, but the more you can get them out front, even for yourself, that is, that is, that is scary work. I call it the work when we're working on ourselves and really getting honest with ourselves, because if you can't be honest with yourself, then you're going to be disingenuous with your people and you're going to blow trust. You just are. Yeah. And by the way, people have the, and I mentioned in the first page of, of one of my books saying, if you can't admit that you're probably, you need to get, you need to get yourself out of the way. Um, I, I, I look, unless you've already figured this out and, and gone to great detail to fix it, you are probably your own 
biggest limiter. And I find that with my own employees, that's something I'm, I'm always addressing. And, you know, it's like, and, and that's the thing now, that culture of trust can begin to fix that. And you get people that, that I want people taking chances. I want, and, and when I say chances, these are calculated risks. You know, these are, I, I want you to have a plan. Right. I don't want you just just like guns out, firing everywhere all over like that's a you, it, you know, there are times when it is OK to to you kick down the door, come in shooting and then ask for names. But that's some like old school cowboy gangster shit there that doesn't really play that well when it comes to success. Now, have a plan, have an understanding of, of where things will go. We love quoting Mike Tyson on this podcast because everyone had a plan until they got punched in the face. So be ready to get punched in the face, you know, and 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 you're going to get punched in the face. And by the way, if you don't get punched in the face, you're probably not competing in the right weight class or skill level. So you're that's playing a, small. If you're not getting punched in the different. face, you're playing small. Yeah. And, and that's it. So, you know, and, you know, overall, you talk, and one, where I wanted to close out, you talk about paying attention to your words. Um, I refer to this as fact shaping and fact shaping means, that, you know, there's literally an infinite way to deliver any message because you can have any combination of words, the English language or whatever language is huge, which means there are better ways than others. Like, for example, I like the word affordable instead of cheap because mm, yep. cheap indicates rickety broken like it's crap affordable is is it value you know like and different things so give some thought to the way you present certain things and the words that you use listen for echoes in your own communication like if you're constantly saying cheap 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 it really should apply to something like i, I oh man i give you an example so we employ really high aptitude at, like we're so picky with who we hire for programmers and a common term for people with 3 to 5 years of experience is junior or mid level we we've removed that we will not refer to our own people as a junior or mid level developer because they beat out 60 people on average to get the job there's nothing junior or mid level about them they just don't have as deep of an experience. So we do still refer to senior developers, but that right there, like you look at the language, like I'm telling you that, I, oh, well, you're average. You're, I'm just, my ex, by the, based on the title that I've given you, I expect you to be okay. And these are little things that matter though, you know, and, and, and look at it and give an idea about where you're going with all that. And, and really, in the end, just pay attention to what you're doing. So, Jeff, thanks again for joining me. Scroll down the show notes. Check out the books that Jeff's written. Hire him to come speak at your business. Do something, man. You're always, always moving forward, and uh, it makes it hard to fall too far behind when you're doing that. I'll see you next time, Jeff. Thanks, Matt. Awesome time. Yep. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.